If you have a copy of the scriptures, please turn with me this morning to Leviticus chapter 16. We're going to look at this entire chapter. As I read this, I want you to feel how much is here. There is a lot happening in this Day of Atonement ceremony. Uh, There's a lot going on. There's a lot of moving parts. I want you to feel that and hear that and think about that because we're going to process through these things together. But this is God's word for us this morning. This is Leviticus chapter 16. God says this. The Lord spoke to Moses after the death of the two sons of Aaron when they drew near before the Lord and died. And the Lord said to Moses, tell Aaron, your brother, not to come at any time into the holy place inside the veil before the mercy seat that is on the ark so that he may not die. For I will appear in the cloud over the mercy seat. But in this way, Aaron shall come into the holy place with a bull from the herd for a sin offering and a ram for a burnt offering. He shall put on the holy linen coat and shall have the linen undergarment on his body, and he shall tie the linen sash around his waist and wear the linen turban. These are the holy garments. He shall bathe his body in water and then put them on. And he shall take from the congregation of the people of Israel two male goats for a sin offering and one ram for a burnt offering. Aaron shall offer the bull as a sin offering for himself and shall make atonement for himself and for his house. Then he shall take the two goats and set them before the Lord at the entrance of the tent of meeting. And Aaron shall cast lots over the two goats, one lot for the Lord and the other lot for Azazel. And Aaron shall present the goat on which the lot fell for the Lord and use it as a sin offering, but the goat on which the lot fell for Azazel shall be presented alive before the Lord to make atonement over it, that it may be sent away into the wilderness to Azazel." Aaron shall present the bull as a sin offering for himself and shall make atonement for himself and for his house. He shall kill the bull as a sin offering for himself and he shall take a censer full of coals of fire from the altar before the Lord and two handfuls of sweet incense beaten small and he shall bring it inside the veil. And put the incense on the fire before the Lord that the cloud of the incense may cover the mercy seat that is over the testimony so that he does not die. And he shall take some of, the bull, some of the blood of the bull and sprinkle it with his finger on the front of the mercy seat on the east side. And in front of the mercy seat, he shall sprinkle some of the blood with his finger seven times. Then he shall kill the goat of the sin offering that is for the people and bring its blood inside the veil and do with its blood as he did with the blood of the bull, sprinkling it over the mercy seat and in front of the mercy seat. Thus he shall make atonement for the holy place because of the uncleannesses of the people of Israel and because of their transgressions, all their sins. And so he shall do for the tent of meeting, which dwells with them in the midst of their uncleannesses. No one may be in the tent of meeting from the time he enters to make atonement in the holy place until he comes out and has made atonement for himself and for his house and for all the assembly of Israel. Then he shall go out to the altar that is before the Lord and make atonement for it, and shall take some of the blood of the bull and some of the blood of the goat and put it on the horns of the altar all around, 
And he shall sprinkle some of the blood on it with his fingers seven times and cleanse it and consecrate it from the uncleannesses of the people of Israel. And when he has made an end of atoning for the holy place and the tent of meeting and the altar, he shall present the live goat. And Aaron shall lay both his hands on the head of the live goat and confess over it all the iniquities of the people of Israel and all their transgressions, all their sins. And he shall put them on the head of the goat and send it away into the wilderness by the hand of a man who is in readiness. The goat shall bear all their iniquities on itself to a remote area, and he shall let the goat go free in the wilderness. Then Aaron shall come into the tent of meeting and shall take off the linen garments that he put on when he went into the holy place and shall leave them there. And he shall bathe his body in water in a holy place and put on his garments and come out and offer his burnt offering and the burnt offering of the people and make atonement for himself and for the people. And the fat of the sin offering he shall burn on the altar. And he who lets the goat go to Azazel shall wash his clothes and bathe his body in water. And afterward he may come into the camp. And the bull for the sin offering and the goat for the sin offering, whose blood was brought in to make atonement in the holy place, shall be carried outside the camp. Their skin and their flesh and their dung shall be burned up with fire. And he who burns them shall wash his clothes and bathe his body in water. And afterward, he may come into the camp. And it shall be a statute to you forever, that in the seventh month, On the tenth day of the month, you shall afflict yourselves and shall do no work, either the native or the stranger who sojourns among you. For on this day shall atonement be made for you to cleanse you. You shall be clean before the Lord from all your sins. It is a Sabbath of solemn rest to you, and you shall afflict yourselves. It is a statute forever." And the priest who is anointed and consecrated as priest in his father's place shall make atonement wearing the holy linen garments. He shall make atonement for the holy sanctuary, and he shall make atonement for the tent of meeting and for the altar, and he shall make atonement for the priests and for all the assembly of the people. And this shall be a statute forever for you, that atonement may be made for the people of Israel once in the year because of all their sins." And Aaron did as the Lord commanded Moses. This is God's word for us today. I told you all there was a lot there. There's a lot there. A few years ago, I took my kids uh, to see a program called Disney on Ice, which was largely princesses ice skating. Um, And singing, or lip singing. And at the end of this program, this character who had been kind of emceeing the whole thing came out and said to the kids, you can be a hero too. All you have to do is be the best version of yourself every day. That is, in some ways, the gospel according to Disney. Just be the best version of yourself every day. If you noticed at the beginning of chapter 16, uh, it references the death of Aaron's 
two sons. That's sort of the background to this extensive procedure we see here for the Day of Atonement in Leviticus 16. And that story is the background of this passage. And I just want you to understand what happened there so that you can understand some of what God is commanding Aaron and the priests to do here. The two sons of Aaron were named Nadab and Abihu. They were the sons of Aaron, the high priest. They were also priests in the tabernacle. And one day, they decided to draw near to the Lord in a way that they thought would be good. They were well-intended. They were going to worship God. They were being, in fact, maybe you could say the best versions of themselves. And here's what the Bible says happened in uh, Leviticus 10, verses 1 and 2. Now Nadab and Abihu, the sons of Aaron, each took his censer and put fire in it and laid incense on it and offered unauthorized fire before the Lord, which he had not commanded them. And fire came out from before the Lord and consumed them, and they died before the Lord. The best version of Nadab and Abihu was not enough to draw near to a holy God. And God's response to this event is to give this procedure that we just read in all of its exhaustive details in Leviticus 16. And part of the purpose of God giving this procedure to his people is to remind Aaron, the high priest, and to remind his people that good intentions are not enough to draw near to a holy God because even the best intentions of God's people have sin mixed in. You see it there in verses 1 and 2. The Lord spoke to Moses after the death of the two sons of Aaron when they drew near before the Lord and died. And the Lord said to Moses, Tell Aaron your brother not to come at any time into the holy place inside the veil before the mercy seat that is on the ark so that he may not die. For I will appear in the cloud over the mercy seat. What God is reminding Aaron of there is that Aaron doesn't have just a blank check to approach the presence of the holy God just because he is the priest. He must come with a particular set of sacrifices, which is what is laid out for us here in the rest of chapter 16. God's holiness is risky for sinful people. That's one of the central points for us to understand this morning. God's holiness is risky for sinful people, including people like the high priest. And that's why God gave his people priests. That's why God gave his people sacrifices. And so what I want to do this morning, I want to think briefly about sacrifices in general, and then we're going to walk through the Day of Atonement specifically, uh, although we're just going to hit highlights because honestly there's just too much there to hit in exhaustive details. When I was growing up, I kind of wished that I lived in Old Testament times because it seemed easier to me that when I sinned, I could just like take a bull and have it sacrificed for my sin, that seemed easier than believing in Jesus and repenting from sin. 
Um, it just seemed like that was a simpler arrangement. I didn't have to worry about how strongly I believed and whether or not I actually was confessing my sin. It just thought like, hey, I could just take an animal and then we are done. But I misunderstood as a kid uh, the nature of sacrifices. Because the sacrifices that God gave his people were never about appeasing God. They were never about controlling God. And they were never about manipulating God. They weren't meant to be a mechanical thing where you just sort of brought a bull and then sacrificed it. And just sort of as a transaction, God forgave you for your sins. Instead, the Old Testament tells us again and again that God hates sacrifices that don't come with repentance. The Old Testament was meant for these sacrifices to accompany God's people turning away from their sin. You see it in places like Hosea 6.6, Psalm 51.16, Proverbs 21.3. Sacrifice and repentance were meant to go together. But that doesn't still kind of get at the heart of this. And that is why are sacrifices necessary? Like, why even have sacrifices at all? The point is, God wants to dwell with his people. God wants to be with his people. And what has happened in the Bible up to Leviticus chapter 16 is God has delivered his people out of slavery in Egypt, and he has given them instructions for making a place so that God can physically dwell among them. That's what the tabernacle was. That's what the tent of meeting was. God moved into the neighborhood. God had a physical address in ancient Israel and in the time of the Exodus in the middle of their camp. But we've already seen that his holiness is risky for a sinful people. And so what God did is he gave his people sacrifices to protect them so that they could dwell near a holy God. Atonement is the word that we use for dealing with sin. And in the Hebrew, it actually carries a double meaning of atonement, but also the word cover. The the sacrifices provide cover for God's people so that they can dwell with him in the camp. But there's a problem, and the problem is this. We don't see all of our sin. And so even though God gave his people sacrifices, they only had sacrifices for the sins they knew about. And these unintentional sins, these accidental sins, these sins for which they were even unaware, they endangered them before a holy God. And so God gave them the Day of Atonement. That's what we read about there in Leviticus 16, an annual day of sacrifice that covers all of the sin of God's people, even and especially unintentional sins. That is what our passage is about. And so what we're going to do now, we're going to kind of walk through some highlights from this Day of Atonement procedure and think about what we are learning about God and ourselves through this process. It is crazy and intricate. I hope you got that as we read it. There are multiple sacrifices. You've got numbers. You've got clothing changes. You've got washings. You've got multiple people burning clothes and burning animals. It is a lot of stuff 
going on. So we're going to try to imagine these things together. So look at verse 11. That's where we're going to start. After washing and changing his clothes, Aaron, the high priest, must atone for his own sin and the sin of the other priests. Because, of course, the priests were humans. The priests themselves were sinners. They needed the forgiveness that their work secured for others. And so Aaron brings a bull for a sin offering so that he can even approach God and begin to do the work of atonement for the people. That's where it starts. Aaron has to atone for himself. If you jump down to verses 15 and 16, you find that Aaron kills a goat. Uh, He sacrifices a goat for a sin offering. And then he goes inside the veil. He goes into the place where God's presence actually was. And he sprinkles the blood of this goat on the mercy seat, which is the place the very presence of God was. And what Aaron is doing there, the passage tells us, is Aaron is atoning for the tabernacle itself, which has been defiled by sin. It's pretty unreal to think about. You see, we've been reminded already in this passage that sin endangers. We see that with Nadab and Abihu, who just kind of brazenly walk into the presence of God and are struck down by fire. You see that in the process by which Aaron has to bring all of these bulls to atone for himself to even get near the presence of God. But sin not only endangers us before a holy God, sin defiles us. But you know this. You know this because you experience this. This is why you feel ashamed or dirty or unclean after you sin. Sin defiles us. This is why sometimes you feel like a hypocrite when you come to church. And this is why sometimes after you sin, you don't want to read your Bible because you feel like you are just fake. I read a psychological study a few years ago Uh, in which a a psychologist found that people who had just showered were less likely to do things they considered morally unclean. They were less likely to cheat on their taxes. They were less likely to uh, gamble. Uh, People, we have this sense that sin renders us unclean, because it does. Sin endangers us, but sin also defiles us. So we move on. Uh, We've got uh, Aaron has approached God. He has made atonement for himself. He's made atonement for uh, the very tabernacle itself, which has been defiled by dwelling in the midst of the uncleannesses of God's people. And then you get over to verse 22. And what Aaron has just done is he has laid his hands on the head of this one goat, the goat that gets to live. And he has confessed over it all of the iniquities and all of the transgressions of the people. How long do you think that took? You ever wondered? I mean, we don't know. There's no record of it. I bet it's longer than a sermon. Took a while. There's a lot of sin among the people of God. And it says he confesses over them their iniquities, which is their 
immoralities, it's their distorted loves, it's the places where they love things that are evil, where they are uh, having twisted hearts that love sin. But he also confesses over the goat their transgressions, their disobedience, the place where they have directly violated God's law. But what's amazing is after confessing the sins of the people over this goat, they put the sin on the goat and they send the goat out of the camp. They send the goat away into a remote area. Uh, and the remote area uh, might be called Azazel. You heard that phrase repeated a number of times. Uh, that probably means a cut-off place. So this goat was sent to the cut-off place, a remote area. And it's a picture for us of our sin being removed. Your sin was put on this goat and the goat was sent away. You get to verse 24 and it says that Aaron washes and changes his clothes again and then there's some other sacrifices for Aaron and the people and the whole thing is done. The day of atonement at that point is done and verse 30 says, you shall be clean before the Lord from all your sins. You shall be clean before the Lord from all your sins. At that point, you could probably still see the goat in the distance. The horizon for a normal-sized human is about three miles away, flat ground. Uh, this probably wasn't terribly flat ground, um, so it probably was an hour walk for the goat to get sort of out of eyesight. You can probably still see the goat as you're pronounced clean from all your sins. And what I want you to do is put yourselves in the mindset of the ancient Israelites. What does that moment feel like? When the priest stands up and pronounces that you are clean before the Lord from all your sins. You are watching the goat bearing your sin disappear over the horizon. You've been declared clean. How long does the feeling last, do you think? 20 nanoseconds was one of the answers earlier, which was perfect. Right? How long until atonement is necessary again, or that you are conscious that atonement is necessary again? How long until your younger brother says to you, grow up? How long until you hit your thumb with a hammer and say a word you try not to say? Is it five minutes? Is it ten minutes? Is it an hour? Is it a day? How does it feel after the first sin? Think about that. You have just been pronounced clean from all your sins, and then that first one hits, and you need atonement again. It's like a New Year's resolution, right? We make a New Year's resolution, we say we're going to keep it, and it lasts eight minutes. We always fail if we think resolving to do better is our hope. And what I want you to see this morning, as we look at this intricate procedure, is that there is a longing that is built in to the Day of Atonement. A longing built in for something better. This ceremony, this day is a bloodbath. And even that was not enough to cover all of the sins of God's people. The people have more sin than the blood of goats and bulls can handle. So what we need is a better sacrifice. 
We need a sacrifice that doesn't have to be repeated every year just to cleanse God's people of their sins. We need a better priest, right? You need a priest that doesn't need to have to make atonement for himself before he can even do anything for you. You need a better tabernacle. You need a tabernacle that hasn't been defiled by your own sin. And what I hope you see here is that Jesus fulfills every longing that is baked in to the day of atonement. Jesus is the better sacrifice. Hebrews 10 tells us that by a single offering, Jesus perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. By a single offering, all time, he has perfected those who are being sanctified. There's no need for the sacrifice to be repeated. Jesus is the better priest He is like us in every way, except he is without sin. He does not need to atone for himself. Hebrews 4.15 tells us that. Jesus is also the better tabernacle. In John's gospel, when it says, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. The word dwelt in Greek actually means pitched a tent among us. It's the same word that in the Greek version of the Old Testament is used to describe the tabernacle. Which is why some old English translations of the New Testament say the word became flesh and tabernacled among us. Jesus is the true and better tabernacle. And all of our sin was put on Jesus when he hung on the cross. And the Bible tells us that that sin was not just removed over the horizon, but was actually removed as far as the east is from the west, which is an infinite distance, Psalm 103 tells us. But more than that, more than our sin just being removed, all of Christ's righteousness was put on us and we are declared righteous. We are declared clean, not just for a moment, but forever, Titus 3 tells us. Friends, the best version of ourselves is not enough because sin has wrecked us. Sin has enslaved us and we are addicted to sin. And what Jesus is doing is not making us the best versions of ourselves. What Jesus is doing is making us what we were created to be. You see, friends, the whole point of atonement, the whole point of the sacrifices to begin with is that God wants to dwell with his people. He longs to be with us. In fact, friends, that's what we were made to do. Remember back two weeks ago, God dwelt in the garden with Adam and Eve. And so what's amazing about the Day of Atonement in Leviticus 16 is that we realize God didn't wait on his people to clean themselves up before he came to dwell with them. He loved his people so much that he gave them a way that he could dwell with them even in the midst of their sin. And in some ways, the tabernacle and the veil and the tent and the walls, all of that separation breaks the heart of God. But it was needed for the safety of God's people in the Old Testament. But now, in Christ, we have a better atonement. Because God himself has come to dwell with us again. And he has made a final atonement. And what Christmas is ultimately about is a celebration of a better tabernacle. 
God has come to dwell with us. And as we think about Christmas, as we think about Advent, as we think about the Day of Atonement, we're reminded not only has Christ come once, Christ will come again. And when Christ comes again, he will pull sin out of this world by its roots, and we will dwell forever with him in a world made new. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you that you love us even when we were sinners, even when we sin, you love us. Father, we thank you that you want to dwell with us despite our unclean hearts, despite our unclean lives. You love us and want to dwell with us. You sent Christ to live a life that we couldn't live and to die a death that we couldn't die. And we thank you that he is the better sacrifice, the better priest, the better tabernacle. Father, be at work in us, strengthen us. Teach us to fall out of love with sin, that we might walk in holiness, in preparation for a world that we will inherit in which righteousness dwells. Father, even now as we come to your table, we pray that you would be at work in us, that you would take this ordinary bread and this ordinary cup and use them for an extraordinary purpose to anchor us in the reality of Christ's work on our behalf. And we pray all of these things in his name. Amen.